0: Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you with us as we begin a new series, Party On. In this study, we'll be looking at the many celebrations that were begun in the Old Testament. Lead Pastor David Fossil grabs our attention as he declares, Don't be a party pooper. As we look at Leviticus 23, we're reminded that God calls us to do a 180 as we turn our lives around. Listen as Pastor Dave gives us some pointers for assessing unhealthy and healthy guilt, the effect they have on our lives, and then we'll get some pointers for cleaning up our lives spiritually.
1: We're starting a brand new series today called Party On. I wrote a list down of different parties that we go to. We go to birthday parties, anniversary parties, going away parties, retirement parties, New Year's Eve parties, Super Bowl parties, surprise parties, Halloween or costume parties, bachelor bachelorette parties, housewarming parties, frat parties, and of course my favorite Tupperware and Avon parties. There's all kinds of parties we go to, right? Then there are kind of world-renowned parties. Let me give you some examples. Let's put it up on the screen. Now, we celebrate St. Patrick's Day and, and, and New Year's Eve, but when you go to Times Square and, and you go to Dublin to celebrate those, it's off the hook. Then you got Mardi Gras that is celebrated in New Orleans. Dia de los Muertos comes from uh, southern Mexico, but of course, we also celebrate it here as well. Next slide. We have some other parties. October, Oktoberfest in Munich, Germany is a party. They get together and they, they drink as much Kool-Aid as they can for a week. It's awesome. You want to go? Carnival, Rio de Janeiro was the most PG picture I could find online to put that up there Uh, of jazz international festival in Montreal. And then, of course, from where I grew up, San Fermin in Spain, uh, in Pamplona area, you as Americans, you know what San Fermin is, what we call it? We call it the running of the bulls. That's San Fermin. There's all these world renowned parties. Now, the series that we are starting today is literally just talking about Old Testament parties. That's all it is. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the third book in the Bible, the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 23. You're saying, really, Pastor, we're going to do Leviticus? That's going to be our anchor chapter for the next three weeks. Now, if someone starts reading the Bible, that's don't send them to Leviticus. Give them the Gospels, give them Philippians. i got to tell you, it was a a good exercise as a Bible student this week to study this chapter, to outline it for you, and to see even in Leviticus, (laughs) it may surprise us, There are helpful, practical things for us to learn, okay? When you get to Leviticus chapter 23, the entire chapter is literally party after party after party after party. God saying to us, his people, and to the Jews in particular in the Old Testament, I'm not suggesting. No, no, I'm commanding you, to celebrate these parties you 've got the party starting in verse four or a Feast of the Passover. I was at Costco this past week sandy and i there 's a whole section of kosher food because those of Jewish descent are just getting ready around the world to celebrate. This feast, the Passover feast and unleavened bread, verse nine, the feast of first fruit, first fruits, verse 15, the festival of the weeks, Uh, verse 23, the festival, the party of trumpets, verse 26, the day of atonement, also known as Yom Kippur. That's what it's called today. Uh, Verse 33, the festival of of the tabernacles. And it goes on and on. All these parties, God says to his people, I want you to celebrate. Now, as we get going into this chapter, we're going to want to take a step back, probably put this slide up every week to remind you of what's going on here, but you have to understand why is God giving these commands? I want you to have these festivals, these feasts, these parties, big overview. Here's what I want you to understand. Let's put the first slide up there. Number one, God is wanting us to remember to enjoy and love this life. Now understand, I I get it. The thrust of the gospel message is the next life, isn't it? Right, you, you come to Jesus, embrace him as your savior, bonus, you get eternal life. The thrust of the gospel is the next life. The problem with some of us Christians is that that's all we focus on. We forget that we are also given the opportunity to enjoy this life. I realize God says there are issues, problems, trials, tribulation in this life, but there are times to enjoy this life. Enjoy it. Now, we have a phrase that we use in our culture to refer to people who don't like doing that, right? That don't like to go to parties or they, they put, we call them party poopers. Stop being a party pooper, right? Do you realize God brought some of you here to church today just to say to you, stop being a party pooper? I want you to turn to the person next to you and with attitude say, don't be a party pooper. Go ahead and do it right now. Do it right now. Okay? Now, see, I see some of you, you're like, I'm not going to do that. You're the party poopers. You're it right there. I'm looking at some of you. (laughs) Enjoy life. Enjoy life. Second of all, and where we're going to really land on most of our time, is as we're going down these festivals... You have to remember, or in our case, study, because we don't understand. Study and remember the meaning and purpose behind the feast. You see, these parties, these feasts that are outlined in in Leviticus 23, it's not an excuse just to take a day off of work, to sleep in and have a barbecue with your friends. That's not what's going on here. There's spiritual significance to what's going on. There's meaning behind what's going on. There's the opportunity to better connect with God. I'm assuming that's what you want. I'm assuming that's why you're here. You want to enhance and have a healthier relationship with God. And that's what all of these parties, all of these feasts have as an underlying meaning. And we're going to look at them. Now today... Uh, We are going to start, if you look in your Bibles, at verse 26, we are going to start with Yom Kippur, or Day of Atonement. It's one of the most important ones that still today those of Jewish descent celebrate, and for us has tremendous significance. Now, as we start, I want to make sure you understand definitions. I'm going to give you the verb and the noun, atone and atonement. Let me show you what they mean. Let's put the next slide up there later. Stay with me. Atone means to make amends, improve a relationship. The verb to make amends if i borrow your car and by accident as i'm backing up at the at the grocery store i back into some shopping carts or something like that or something like and i put a little dent scratch in your car if i'm to make amends if i'm to keep our friendship relationship good i don't just throw the keys back at you and say sorry bro my bad what do i do i offer to pay for the damage i or i say you know tell me what the deductible is right because if i want to keep our friendship solid that's, I have to make amends because I'm messed up. The, the noun, atonement, means to cover a wrong. You're actually going to see that uh, when we jump back to, to Leviticus 16, that phrase, to cover, right? To make reparation. Now, what you need to understand is that the, the big idea behind Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, is that you and I have the opportunity to do this with God. We have the opportunity to cover wrong to make reparations, to make amends to all the screw-ups that you and I have done, which the Bible calls sin. That's the point. You can't have a healthy relationship with God until you make amends in that area. The result of making amends with God, covering up, dealing with the sin in our life, is an improved relationship, a healthy relationship. Now, I'm going to tell you in advance what the conclusion is. I'm going to tell you the conclusion and then, and then build in. What the, the, the little secret that the New Testament tells us is that you and I have absolutely no opportunity to make atonement. Only Jesus does. Jesus does the atonement. Jesus does the atoning. We do the repenting. Jesus does the atoning. We do the repenting. But here's the little thing. in in Leviticus 23, it didn't work that way. In Leviticus 23, we literally were the ones working at making amends, covering the wrong and making reparation. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to break down for you five steps. What do I do to enhance my relationship with God? What do I do to make amends, cover wrong, make reparation? Okay. I think it's going to be helpful. It's rather interesting. Step number one, write this down. You need to do some soul searching. You need to do some soul searching. Now, I told you we were going to start with the day of atonement, but here's one of the things you need to understand. A lot of times when you and I have parties, isn't it true that a lot of our parties have prerequisites, things that have to happen before you have the party? So you can't have a bachelor party, bachelorette party until you get engaged, right? You got to get engaged first. You can't have a baby shower party until she's pregnant, right? You, You can't have a retirement party until you get to a certain age or you've worked a chunk of time at a certain company. Right. I didn't have with my friends, the Herberts, a World Series party until three things happened. One, we defeated the Giants. Shout out to Terrence and all you Giants fans. It was awesome. Two, we defeated the Dodgers. Shout out to the Moors. It was felt good to do that. And three, defeated the Indians. And then we partied. There are pre- I'm setting this up. There are prerequisites to parties. Same with this one. You know, you're not allowed to celebrate the Day of Atonement. You're not allowed to celebrate Yom Kippur until you have something prior to that. It's right there in the Bible. You cannot celebrate Day of Atonement until you first celebrate Festival of Trumpets. It's kind of the, it's kind of the comparison between Good Friday and Easter. You can't get to Easter until you go through Good Friday. Same thing here. So you have to understand the Festival of Trumpets first. So we're going to start in verse 23. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites on the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a Sabbath day rest, a sacred assembly commemorated. Now notice with trumpet blasts, do no regular work, but present an offering to the Lord. I've highlighted it for you also on the screen. Notice how this feast, this party starts trumpet blasts. Notice what it does not say. It doesn't say trumpet music. It doesn't say that it doesn't say we're going to have a we're going to have a quartet of uh, horn instruments, they come from San Francisco Symphony. Let's all give them a little hand as they come in. Wait, not no, no, there's no music. No, not 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 someone coming out doing some jazz pieces on the trumpet. No, no trumpet blasts and everything that implies. It's loud and it's obnoxious. You know what the symbolism was behind it. There's symbolism behind it. The symbolism is as we got these 20 guys up on stage and all they're doing, they're not playing any special notes. They're just up here blasting their trumpet. You know what they're trying to do? Wake up. Wake up. Just like the trumpet blasts are not allowing you to nap. Some of you need to wake up and you need to do some soul searching. You know, I don't know what this feast was all about. It was nine days of soul searching. Wake up and do some soul searching. Try and figure out and identify, do you have any issues going on in here? Do you have any problems going on in here? Do you have any, the psalmist said, offensive ways going on in here? Psalmist used that phrase. Let me show you how the psalmist said it. Let's put it up there. Psalm 139, search me, God, know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. See... If there's any offensive way in me, I'm going to do some soul searching. I I couldn't think of any other story to explain what it means to, to carefully evaluate. Some of you have been with me for a while, so you've heard this story. But many of you haven't. It happened about 15 years ago. I I used to golf with my good friend Gary Cobb at Franklin Canyon a lot. I was a horrible golfer back then. So it explains that on certain holes in Franklin Canyon, if you ever golf there, there there's certain places you can go and you will always five a gazillion golf balls, right? They go down. the And if you just go down there and go, you can pick them up. So we got to this one particular hole on the back nine. And I said, Gary, you know, we're going to have to wait to tee off. I'm going to go down and get some free golf balls. And he said to me, you know, Dave, this is tick season. A lot of ticks out. And I was like, I won't worry about it. So I went down. I got like 15 golf balls, right? I put them in my cart. Then I went like this. I looked at my jeans and I just, I did this all a couple ticks, finished my round of golf, went to the office, did some work. Before I left the office, I called Sandy at home and I said, I'm heading home. She goes, can you pick up five items at the grocery store uh, before you come home? No problem. I'm driving right by Safeway on Terra Hills. I stopped off, got my shopping cart, went in, got item number one. Then I went, got item number two. And it was at that moment, I felt an itch on the back of my calf. You know where I'm going, don't you? I started crashing, and the itch didn't go away. I picked up my jeans, and what I saw was a tick burrowing his way into my calf. I tried to brush it off, but he was half in. I know, it was the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in my life. I left the cart right where it was, got in my car, quickly drove home and I rushed in the house. I said, Sandy, do something, Sandy!" Cause that's what I do when I have problems, right? Sandy do something. She says, don't worry. I've been camping. I know how this works. And there's a, I guess there's a little system. So she gets a match. She lights it, blows the match out. And then she kind of sears the tick and does that a couple times. Cause that's what you want to do to kill it. Right? Uh, because if you try and pull it out before you do that, you can leave part of it in. So she sears it two, three times. Then she gets the tweezers, pulls it out. And I'm like, oh, thank goodness. And I feel a lot better. Do you need me to, to go back to the grocery store? And she goes, yeah, that would that'd be better. And she goes, wait. I go, what? She goes, were you wearing those clothes at the golf course? And I was like, yeah, I was wearing these clothes. She says, you might still have ticks. Somewhere... Because of the, you wear those. And then she says this. Take all your clothes off. And I'm like, again? I mean, she's always asking me to do that. Like, you know, so I am in the middle of the living room taking my clothes off, right? While I'm doing this, I don't know why she did this, but she went to the garage and she got a flashlight. I don't know why, because there was lights on everywhere. But then, then she made me stand in the living room like this. So just picture Well, maybe you don't want to picture it, but it really was happening. And she takes a flashlight and she's looking everywhere on my body. Like I said, it's very dramatic with the flashlight. She's looking, right? To look for ticks, right? As this is happening, my four or five-year-old son, Joshua, has heard the commotion. He's crawled out of bed. He starts walking and making his way to the living room. He gets to the living room and and he sees this, right? He starts coming in, wondering what's going on. And Sandy says to him, stop, stop dad has bugs. (laughs) He's never looked at me the same ever again, ever. I actually have a point to this story. I really do. And here's my point. What Sandy was doing, looking for ticks on my body, you have to do in your soul looking for sin. You want to know what most of us do with sin? You and I do what I did at the golf course. I think I'm good. That's what we do. Yeah, I am just. I think I'm good. You don't do soul searching, though. You don't do an in-depth evaluation. How am I doing? I don't have the time to do in-depth, but I, I, I'm going to dig a little bit with you. So let's dig. Let me put this next slide up there. I'm going to ask you at the end here, which one of these columns most represents you? But let's talk real quick. Sins of the mind. Sins of the mind. The, the first one, greed is thinking about money the wrong way. Lust is thinking about sex the wrong way. Worry is thinking about problems the wrong way. And coveting is thinking about other people's stuff the wrong way. How you doing in your mind? The sins of the mouth. The sins of the mouth cursing is when out of my mouth comes inappropriate words. Lying is when out of my mouth comes untrue words. Backbiting is when out of my mouth comes critical words. And gluttony is when I shut my mouth and just stuff it with food and with drink. How you doing with sins of the mouth? Sins of the attitude is basically when, 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 when I'm giving off a certain vibe, right? Pride is when I think about myself and give off the attitude that I'm better than you. Anger is when I think I'm upset at you. Envy is when I give off the vibe, I'm jealous of you. And sloth is when I give off the vibe, I'm not going to work as hard as you. I heard of this woman who had a four-year-old. In the middle of the day, her four-year-old, her four-year-old son took a little toy, threw it through the big picture window they had in the living room, glass everywhere. No one got her, but it was, she was just really upset. She called her husband at the office, and the secretary answered, and as was normally the case, she said, he can't be disturbed. He's in a meeting. Can I take a message? Well, she'd done this before, and he never called back. So she came up with a new plan, and this is the message that she left. Tell him... I'm certain the I'm certain the insurance will cover it. Call home for details. Within 5 minutes he called home. Here's how I want to end this little section. I'm certain God's insurance will cover that. As long as you go to step number 2. Let's go to step number 2. Let's put it up on the screen. Step number 2 is clean up spiritually. Clean up spiritually. Now, we got to keep moving. Chapter 23, verse 26, the Lord said to Moses, the 10th day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. Hold a sacred assembly, deny yourselves and present. Here it comes a food offering to the Lord. Now, this offering, you know, we live in a day and age where we don't slaughter cows and chickens, but we eat it right. And we're not familiar or comfortable with it very much. But to understand the food offering and what's going on there, you got to go back a couple chapters to chapter 16. So go back to chapter 16 in your phones or on your Bibles, the whole chapter 16 is an explanation of the day of atonement. And in chapter 16, it starts out, verse 2 is where I'm going to start. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark. There's that atonement cover, right? The holy of holies is where Jesus, that was like the hot spot of where God lived, right? And he says, I don't want you just barging in any way, any time. No, 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 I, I need you to, to clean up. Now, in his case, it was literal. I want you to wear certain clothes. I want you to do certain things. For us, we look at the spiritual and symbolic representation. If you just barge into God's presence anyway, anyhow, look at what he said to the high priest. Uh, end of uh, verse uh, 20, uh, verse 2. He says, if, On the most place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover of the ark, or else, he will die, for I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. In other words, you just barge in anyway, anyhow, high priest, you might die. So in other words, there's high value in cleaning up. And then he explains to him what I want you to wear. Now again, there, I don't want you to go to Ross right after church and buy what this says. Okay? It's the symbolic understanding of what's going on here. Now watch. If you know the priest in the Old Testament, he wears a special thing and there's different rocks and there's all kinds, Not here. Here it's a special thing. Verse 3. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering. There's that offering. And a ram for the burnt offering. That ends up being that food offering. But now notice, he is to put on a sacred linen tunic. When we read elsewhere that that was a completely white tunic. Now, what do you think symbolically that means? He's not saying I want you to wear white clothes. But he's saying there's part of you that I want it to be white and clean. What do you think that is? It's your soul I Want you to have a clean soul. I, I want you to clean up spiritually. He is to put on a sacred tunic. Now, notice only phrase reference in the entire Bible that I know of special sacred underwear. I kid you not. Here it is right here. Verse four, he is to put on sacred tunic and linen, sacred undergarments. Right next to his body. I just want you to know that today your pastor is in fact wearing the sacred Calvin Klein underwear. So there it is right there. Special for you. I I thought you'd want to know that. He is to tie the linen sash around and put the linen turban. These are sacred garments. One more thing I want you to do. You must bathe yourself with water before you put all this on. Let's, Let's talk about just taking a bath real quick. How many of you here, whether you worked out that day, worked in the garden or not, how many of you like... To take a shower every day. Show of hands. Every day you want to take a shower. Okay. How many of you here say, you know, once every other day or so, I'm good with that. A Co- couple of people. How about pe- anybody once a week? Once a week. Thank you, brother over there. Once a month. How about st- those of you are, you're not going to raise your hand. You want the person next to you to just freak out and think you never take showers. There's some of you like that, right? Most of us, we live in a society. We like to take showers every day. Right? We like, at the very least, it wakes us up, right? In the morning. Question If we're so intent on cleaning and showering every day physically, why don't you do the same thing spiritually? If you miss one day worth of a shower, you feel all grimy, right? All yucky. Maybe not cleaning spiritually as often as you think you need to, maybe that's what explains why you feel so yucky right here. Does that make sense? You see, going through life, not taking a spiritual bath on a regular basis is going to catch up to you. It's going to catch up. In verse 5, the story goes on, and here begin the sacrifices. Verse 5, from the Israelite community The high priest is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. So before the high priest can make atonement for the people of God, he has to have his own offering of atonement. Verse seven, then he is to take two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots on the two goats, one for the Lord and one for the other, the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls on the Lord and sacrifice it as a sin offering. You see, Pastor, honestly, that's one of the reasons I don't like reading the Old Testament. All this killing, all this blood, you know, I'm an animal lover and then I just, I don't like reading all that stuff. I mean, when we disobey God, couldn't he even come up with a different system? Can't he just make us do laps or something? I mean, why all this killing? It, It started right at the beginning. He's not surprised any of us. He's tried to help every one of us understand when you and I sin somewhere, somehow, something in our life dies. He started right at the very beginning trying to help us understand that. Let let me let me just give you a couple examples. Let's put the next slide up there. Genesis chapter three, speaking to Adam and Eve. And he says, check this out. If you eat from this one tree and disobey me, what's going to happen to you? You're going to die. Now, we know theologically that literally meant physical and spiritual. You're going to die. Then in the New Testament, it's further explained to us, Romans chapter 6, the consequence or the wage of sin. So if you keep disobeying God, what's going to happen? Something's going to die. And every one of us has experienced that. When you and I sin, relationships die and marriages die. How many of us have jacked up finances and all kinds of debt because we've stepped outside of God's will just in finances and, and our whole financial world is caved apart? We literally are impacted physically and relationally and spiritually and fi- every area gets affected. I keep trying to tell you this, say God, says God. Now, in between the chapters we're looking at, He explains the sacrifices. Leviticus 17. You see, life is in the blood. Life is in the blood. I've given it to you to make atonement, amends for yourself on the altar. It's the blood that makes atonement for one's life. By the way, do you know why the Jews don't sacrifice today? They're a very small group that does, but hardly any. Do you know why the Jews don't sacrifice at all today? It's a simple answer. The minute the temple was destroyed, the venue for sacrifices was over. Because scripture commands that that sacrifices have to occur in the temple. So when the temple was destroyed, it was over. By the way, that's half the mess in the Middle East. They, the Jews, want to rebuild the temple. And on the temple mount is a big mosque. What do you think the Muslims think about tearing the mosque down and putting the temple? Not too cool. That's half the problem. That's why the Jews don't sacrifice. Why don't you and I sacrifice? Why not after service every week, we have a couple sacrifices in the prayer room? Why don't we do that? Because we don't have to. By the way, that doesn't happen over there. I don't want to make you not go to the prayer room, right? Okay. But let me show you, if you have time, there's a couple chapters I want you to read in Hebrews. I'm just going to give you the highlights. Hebrews 10, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. How many times? Once. He's the perfect lamb of God, one sacrifice. And that one sacrifice, Hebrews chapter nine, forgives the sins of many, anyone who wants it. Finally, Hebrews chapter eight, the new covenant, the new system, Jesus and his sacrifice has made the first one Leviticus 23 obsolete. See, here's how it works. You've got eight tracks or cassette tapes and you've got an iPod. They all produce music. But one is so much more efficient than the other. Does that make sense? You, you, you've got a typewriter and you've got a laptop. They both type letters, but one is so much more efficient than the other. You've got Leviticus 23 having to go through Pastor Dave and sacrificing a couple goats. Or you've got Jesus. This one is so much more efficient. So much more efficient. Jesus does the atoning. You and I do the repenting. Do you want to know what the word repent in Greek is? It's metanoina. And it literally means to do a 180, to turn around, to change your mind. It was a military command. And if if you and I are marching and our commanding officer says metanoia, we were to make a 180 turn and go in the opposite direction. You know what God is saying to some of us today? 180. 180, you know the words you're speaking? Time to turn around and start speaking different words. You know the things you're doing? Time to start doing a 180 and doing different things. You know those, those attitudes that we talked about? 180, instead of anger, I want patience. It's time to clean up. It's time to clean up. Now, just, and I, just to fill you in, you know, there's, there's two major cleanups you have to do. One's called salvation and one called sanctification. Salvation, you do once. It's when you come to Jesus Christ once. You accept him as your savior once. You don't need to do it at the end of every day's sermon. Once. By the way, I want me to say, there was a little something that happened during an announcement that rubbed me the wrong way, just a little bit. Did you guys catch what happened? Pastor Nate stood up here and said, last week at Mays, we had 25 people get saved. About half of you didn't clap. The other half did a polite clap, a golf clap. That's 25 people, that's alright. Do you know 50% of churches in America don't have one person saved in the entire year? We had 25 last week. So let me just say this again. Last week, 25 people got saved. <laughs> now, You should know better than to piss the pastor off. I'm not happy about that. not happy. Let's move on. Okay. I will confess that later. I know I'm probably not supposed to say that. So you have salvation. Let's get back to the message. Salvation and sanctification. You know what you do with sanctification? Every day you need to take a Jesus bath. Every day you need to repent. Every day. You know why? Because every day we sin. I know that because 1 John tells me that. Every day. Every day something happens. We say, we do, or we have an attitude we shouldn't have done. And I'm telling you, that explains why in some cases you feel so distant from God. You haven't taken a bath in months. Months. And that rank is your sin. Clean it up. Clean it up. Point number three. I got to keep moving. Point number three is stop the guilt trip. Stop the guilt trip. Verse 10 The goat chosen by lot as a scapegoat. Have you ever heard that term scapegoat? It comes right here from Leviticus 16. The scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. What's going on here? Go forward to verse 21. Verse 21, chapter 16, the high priest is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites. So I'm the high priest. Let's pretend every one of you comes over, whispers in my ear all the garbage you've done, all your sins, and then I symbolically put it on the goat's head. Every one of you, we symbolically put all of our garbage on the goat's head. That's what's going on here. All their sins put it on the goat's head. And then send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. So now, I don't have a blank for you to fill out or a slide, but this is important. Goat number one that gets killed. Goat number one that gets sacrificed. This goat removes the stain of sin. It pays the price for the sin. Goat number two, the scapegoat that gets sent off into the wilderness is meant to remove the guilt of sin. Let me say that again. Goat number one removes the stain of sin. Goat number two removes the guilt of sin. You know why? Because God saves you. He doesn't want to just forgive you spiritually. He wants to restore you emotionally. He doesn't want to just forgive you spiritually. He wants to restore you emotionally. And here's the problem. Some of you are walking around life with this massive boulder on your shoulders called guilt. You can't get over all the crap you've done in your past. And it keeps coming up over and over and over. The psalmist would say it this way. Wash me clean from my guilt because it haunts me. Psalm 38, my guilt, it overwhelms me. It's a burden too heavy to bear. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel the guilt of what you've done? Now, you got to be careful here because Jesus is not just about making you feel happy. When you dig a little deeper into these feelings we have, there seems to be the idea in Scripture that there may be something as positive guilt or negative guilt. Let me show you what I mean. Second Corinthians says this. Godly sorrow or godly guilt... You and I sometimes call that conviction. It's the Holy Spirit whispering in your ear saying, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to say that. I want you to go that way. And you feel bad, but it always look at it leads and brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow, worldly guilt. Well, you know what it brings here's what I want to do real quick because God doesn't want the second one. He doesn't want you to live that way. He doesn't want you to live with this boulder of guilt on you. I'm going to try and break it down for you very quickly because both of these sometimes feel like the same thing and you have to use your brain and try and understand which one is which. Is this good guilt, bad guilt, positive guilt, negative guilt, godly guilt, or not godly guilt. Let me show you the slide. What we're going to do is try and break it down. I'm going to give you the answers and you figure it out for you. Let's put the answers up there. Healthy guilt comes from God. Unhealthy guilt and negative guilt comes from Satan and others. One thing you need to understand about the enemy is the enemy cannot read your mind, but he can whisper in your ear. Let me say that again. He cannot read your mind, but he can whisper in your ear. And you want to know the kinds of things he whispers in your ear? I can't believe you did what you did. If anyone knew, they would never want to be your friend. And he brings up all the garbage in your past. People do that as well. Friends do that. Family members do that. The pastor does that. Sometimes, have you found that you do that for yourself? You make yourself feel guilty? There's self-talk that's going on in your head. It's no one else. It's you one comes from god the holy spirit one comes from satan or others healthy positive guilt is spirit driven Un, unhealthy negative is rule driven healthy guilt one, always directs and motivates to change you feel a certain way and you think i don't want to be like this i want to be a different kind of person i'm going to change but unhealthy guilt makes you want to hide just like adam and eve in the in the in the garden so just think what does your emotions make you want to do do they motivate you to change Or do they motivate you to hide from other people the things you're struggling with? Because that will begin to tell you what you're dealing with. Unhealthy, uh, healthy guilt is focused on the future. Tomorrow, I want to be better than I am today. Unhealthy guilt focuses on the past. You're always looking to what you did. So what are you focused on? The future or the past? Healthy guilt always, always, always leads to confession and repentance. I'm going to do a 180 And change directions. Unhealthy negative guilt leads to self-pity and discouragement. Which column are you living in? Now, some of you may be be thinking, you know what? I don't feel guilty about anything, so I must be doing pretty good. Not so quick. Not so quick. A while back at our house, um, we had a little issue. We heard a little buzzing. And uh, it was like just kind of a low... mm, and then we heard something burning. And, and so I was like, Sandy, I don't know what's going on. You know, again, go to Sandy, have help her figure it out. Um, we, by the time we discovered it, it was too late. You know what had happened? The last person that had come to our house had rung the doorbell and the doorbell got stuck on the on position. That was the buzzing. And of course, the doorbell is a small little circuit and it had burned out. Do you realize that that's what some of us have done with our conscience? Because every time God sees something that, and, and hears something we do that he doesn't want us to do, he whispers in our ear. But if you keep saying no, eventually you stop hearing his voice. I mean, that's what Paul says in First Timothy 4. Some of you have seared your conscience. You've literally burned it out. First Timothy 4.2. If you are one of those persons that maybe you've said no to God too much, you will not be able to respond to God emotionally. You won't be able to hear him for a while. The only answer is you got to do some word digging. You got to let this change you because you're not going to hear him until you start digging into this again. Flip side. I'm going to say this quick. For those of you who are living on the right side of the screen, For those of you who are carrying around unhealthy, negative guilt, let let me say this to you real quickly. In doing so, you are minimizing the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. In doing so, you are devaluing the sacrifice Jesus made for you. And I want to say this carefully, but you need to understand. In doing so, you are disrespecting the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. Jesus does not want you to live on the right side of the screen. Do you understand that? He doesn't want you there. I came to save you, to fix you spiritually and emotionally. And emotionally. It's time to move on. Yeah, we did mess up in the past, but I confessed it. I repented. I'm heading in a new direction. Keep your chin up. Does that make sense? Let's move on. Number four, I got to go quick. Number four, sacrifice something for God. Let's go back to chapter 23. Back to chapter 23, verse 29. Those who do not deny themselves on that day must be cut off from their people. When you read all of it, it actually says to deny yourself in verse 26, to deny yourself in verse 29, and to deny yourself in verse 32. It's the idea of sacrificing for God. Now, In this particular party, in this particular festival, that phrase to deny yourself, do you want to know what it meant? I want you to fast, not go quickly something, but stop eating to fast. And right away when I see that, I'm like, well, that's a kind of a sucky party because I don't know about you, but most of the times I go to parties to eat, right? It's one of the reasons I loved growing up Baptist. There was always potlucks and food, right? This is the opposite of a potluck. Hey, all of you come to my party and every one of you don't bring anything. We're not eating. Well, what the heck's going on here? Well, this is God saying, you know what? What I want you to do is I want you to take a moment and I want you you to sacrifice for me. By the way, the sacrifice I'm making for you whole lot bigger than what you're making for me. Let's just make sure we get that on the table. I want you to I want you to deny yourself Something. For the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of your commitment to me. By the way, this is not the most famous verse in the Bible that talks about denying yourself. In the Gospels, Jesus would do much the same thing. And he would say, if you want to be my follower starts with a a if you don't have to. But if you want to be my follower, then he says, deny yourself. And then he adds something. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. Ooh, he just upped the ante. He just upped the ante. Question, what are you sacrificing for God? It's, it's the reason I have absolutely no problem standing up here as often as I need to, challenging you to give financially, challenging you to serve in the Easter egg hunt, challenging you to be part of the construction team and go over to the other building and do stuff. Why? Because the scripture says over and over and over again that you and I are to sacrifice because he sacrificed so much for us. Now I get it. I know I know you work seven, eight hours the, a, a, all day, and the, what you want to do is go home and sit on your couch right but but there's there's youth to work with on Tuesday night and Wednesday night, and there's kids' activities and there's construction teams, and you know now I know you want to go home. I get that, but Jesus says, sacrifice for me, sacrifice, so what are you sacrificing? What are you giving up for him? By the way. Did, did you catch what he adds in that verse? It's on the screen. Did you catch what he adds? Those who do not deny themselves on that day must be cut off from their people. I don't know what that means, but it doesn't sound too good. What do you think? Doesn't sound too good. You want to have a good relationship with God? Figure out what am I going to sacrifice for God? Last one. Let's wrap it up. Prioritize rest. Prioritize worship. Verse 30. I will destroy from among their people anyone who does any work on that day. You shall do no work at all. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. It is a day of Sabbath. That's that principle of rest and worship. A day of Sabbath rest for you. You must deny yourselves from the evening on the ninth day of the month until the following evening. You are to observe the Sabbath. Observe the Sabbath. Now, Sabbath for most of us is Sunday. Sunday because that's when we have church. But you could do it on a different day. Like, for example, nurses or or police officers, some of us have to, uh, I, pastors have to work on Sunday. It's not very restful. But you have to find a chunk of time where you're focusing on worship. That's what you're doing right now. And then changing your routine to rest. Doesn't literally mean you have to sleep. You do whatever recharges you. It can be gardening. It can be golfing. It can be whatever you want to do. I don't care. Movies. But you have to recharge and you have to worship. And he says, I want you to prioritize that. Make it a priority, right? Now, you know me, I'm not a legalist. You know, there are, I'm not going to get on your case if you go camping one weekend or you go away for, celebrate something one weekend or maybe a sporting event. Even my daughter occasionally will miss a Sunday to play on her sports team. I'm not going to get too caught up on that, but I am going to emphasize to you that first word on the screen. And ask you, is Sabbath, is church a priority to you? You know what I'm told by researchers, by church consultants? You know what I'm told? I'm told, David, as a pastor, you should be okay with the average person in your church showing up 50% of the time. Because people are busy. People got stuff going on. Life's just so different today than it was even 10, 15 years ago. If they show up 50% of the time, thumbs up. And I guess when I hear that, this is what I think. How would it work if you did that at work? (laughs) If you just showed up 50%. What would the school district say if your kids only went to school 50% of the time? Do do you think your water heater is dependable if it gives you hot water 50% of the days? And again, I'm I not going to, I don't, the last thing I want to do is guilt you, but I do want to challenge you. Um, I'm not your mom. Think of me as your spiritual coach, okay? And I'm going to coach you just like I coach my daughter's soccer team. This is what I say to them. If you don't prioritize practice, don't expect to do that great on game day. Is that fair? If you don't come to practice, if you don't make that a priority, don't expect to be a superstar on game day. It's the same with you as it relates to church. If you don't prioritize church, don't expect when you walk out those doors or when you're out doing game day in the Jesus world to win. So all I'm going to say to you is make it a priority. That's all I'm going to say. And you figure out what that looks like for you. Okay. Let me wrap it up and kind of give you what Romans says, because I think it's awesome. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All are justified freely by by his grace through redemption that comes by Jesus Christ. Here it comes. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. The good news is you don't have to have sacrifices through me to get atonement, to make amends. It's all been done by Jesus. Our response is that we receive it by faith. I'm going to end how I started. Jesus does the atoning. You and I do the repenting. Jesus does the atoning. He makes the amends. You and I respond in faith and do the repenting. I don't know if it's a true story, but I read of a little girl. Her parents had a horrible relationship. Uh, They eventually got divorced, and even after they were divorced, they did not get along. Always fighting, right? This little five, six-year-old girl one day was playing out in the street or whatever, didn't wasn't paying attention, and she was hit by a car. She was rushed to the hospital. She was put in intensive care. Very quickly, the doctors realized she wasn't going to make it. So they called everybody, aunts and uncles, grandparents, and they all came to the hospital. Of course, the parents both came, only mom and dad were allowed into the ICU room where she had all kinds of tubes hooked up to her. Mom was on one side, Dad was on the other side. And this little girl, as she's fighting for her life, as really she has her last moments alive, somehow or another, she opened her eyes. And she realized Mom and Dad were in the room next to her. She reached over to Mom. She had Mom hold her hand. And then she reached over to Dad dad held her hand. And then what with little strength she had left. She pulled those hands together. She made them hold hands. And that's what Jesus did for you. He took your hand. He took God's hand. And it is only through the sacrifice of Jesus. Only through his death. That you get atonement. He does the atoning. You and I respond in faith. Do the repenting. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, who would, have, who would have thought that Leviticus had all this stuff in it? I am so incredibly grateful that when I get ready for church every week, I don't have to go and buy a couple goats to bring to church. I'm thankful that your son Jesus, once and for all, the perfect Lamb of God, paid the perfect price. Father, there's a lot in here about what we learned about doing soul searching and not rushing through life, but taking the time to do inventory. About taking a bath, spiritually speaking, either accepting Christ or those of us who have already done that, most of us, taking the time on a daily basis to think through what we've done, what we've said, what attitudes we've had that haven't been pleasing to you to confess and to repent. Father, many of us, I get the feeling, are being controlled by feelings of guilt. And today was a reminder to so many of us that that's not the way you created. Father, there's a number of us here that have to make sacrifices for you. We're living an easy polite faith but the cross wasn't easy and it certainly wasn't polite Father I am grateful for everyone that has prioritized this morning just help us teach us to have that be part of our regular schedule Father our desire we are here today because we want a better relationship with you we are so incredibly grateful and we don't take for granted what Jesus did we love you We pray that you would take the thoughts, the ideas, the study we've learned and that you would help us cement in one or two principles that we could take with us and apply. We love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said.
0: It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Bronte, California, exists to help everyone take their next step closer to Jesus. Thanks again for listening.